You're listening to the Gonzo Back to the Future specials. I'm Alex Shaw. This is Back to the Future. We're back. After the extremely gratifying popularity of the Star Wars podcast, I decided I was too hooked on my favourite movies to just stop talking about them. So for the next three weeks, we're covering the Back to the Future trilogy. And there will be more beyond that. With me once again is Neil Taylor from Game Burst. Hello. And joining us, we have one of the brightest stars of the digital Cowboys community, Mr. Giles Thomas. Hello. Welcome, gentlemen. Now, rather than focusing on the slightly rocky production of Back to the Future, we're going to be discussing some of the more fascinating concepts brought up by the time travel themes, looking at the frequently asked questions and delving into what, on closer inspection, is a very complex series of timelines created by Doc and Marty. We'll also be handing out tasty trivia nuggets and things to watch out for next time you watch these movies. Now, a word of advice from Doc Brown himself. To get your head around most of these theories, you will have to think fourth-dimensionally. That is, consider the past, present, and future of each specific timeline as it's laid out for you. When the movie starts and you get to see all of Doc's clocks in that brilliant bit of storytelling, just looking around his home, one of the clocks has a guy hanging off the big hand, just like Doc did at the end of the movie. Which is a clock which is in reference to an Alfred Hitchcock movie. The guy with the megaphone in Marty's band recital is... Huey Lewis. Who, of course, sang The Power of Love, which is what Marty plays. And back in time. He's, he's, it's, he's playing against type as an old stiff when Huey Lewis was down with the kids. In 1985, the name of the Toyota dealership is Statler Toyota. In 1955, the Studebaker dealer is Statler Motors. And in 1885, Honest Joe Statler deals in the buying, selling and trading of horses in Hill Valley. There's a few of those, because the manure cart is the same, and I think it's A. Johnson. designed very carefully to appeal to adults with the painstakingly recreated 1955 world guaranteed to evoke memories in the 40-somethings and the youthful protagonist with his skateboard and spaceship for a car assured to keep the kids hooked 
But it's the bond of friendship between Doc and Marty, the old and young, playing to one another's strengths and covering for each other's weaknesses that unites the whole audience and maintains a strong sense of heartfelt good intention throughout. Now, there are some absolutely fantastic performances in this movie from young actors who have had to encapsulate that character at two very different points of their life. Thomas F. Wilson, who plays Biff, Crispin Glover, who plays George, and Leia Thompson as Lorraine, managed to perfectly convey their roles in the McFly family. Thompson, in particular, begins with a sluggish, depressed, sagging wreck, a shadow of the bright, zesty young Lorraine we're about to meet. It's actually pretty poignant as she glares wordlessly at her wet mop of a husband and the ruin her life has become. So when George, whose inability to handle confrontations has a subtle physical tell, the flexing of his hand, finally sees that Lorraine is worth the risk of standing up to Biff, he makes a man out of himself and has this immense sense of accomplishment. Wilson plays Biff pretty much the same throughout the movie, but has to be credited with balancing sheer comedic gormlessness with palpable menace, something rarely achieved in movies. It's brilliant. There's some fantastic actors in there. You've got, you know, Christopher Lloyd being this crazy Einstein-esque Doc mm. Brown. You've got Martin McFly that really uh, sort of embodies the generation of the time. Mm-hmm. Crispin Glover is awesome in this movie. Again, so is Leah Thomas. But you have to admit, I think the most overlooked uh, actor in it is uh, Thomas F. Wilson, who mm. plays Biff. He, he, everyone remembers Marty or remembers Dark, but without Biff, those movies don't work. Yeah. No, there has to be a constant sense of uh, a, a physical embodiment of danger. Obviously, there's this sort of ticking time bomb of, of Marty has to be gone by this particular time, but Biff is this brilliant sort of stone in their shoe all the time, always in the way and always uh, a figurehead of menace. Don't be so gullible, we'll fly. Now, why don't you make like a tree? And get out of here! <laughs> what was the name of that composer that Christopher Lloyd uh, based his uh, physical performance on? Leopold Strabowski. Leopold Stokowski, yeah. He's, uh, if you watch Doc carefully, he's conducting the world. When he, when he, his movements are so huge and elaborate, and it's like, it's like there's this sort of, this opera of science going on, and it's like, you know, we gotta send you back to the future! And he points directly at the camera with his flourish, and he's got this wild white hair like Einstein, and of course like Stokowski. He puts everything into it, this performance. It's, it's fascinating. Now, just take a minute, and I want you to imagine Doc Brown again. Mm-hmm. Now, imagine instead of it being Christopher Lloyd, mm-hmm. imagine it as John Lithgow. Yeah, he was up for the role, wasn't it? I mean, he could have done it. You know, John Lithgow's great, but I don't think it would have been quite as beloved. Do you? No, I or don't it's think quirky. It be, I think it's one of the. It was a perfect storm of casting, with despite the difficulties in casting that Back to the Future had. Mm. That what they ended up with was almost the perfect sto- the perfect cast that I cannot imagine uh, any member of that cast being played by someone else and it being better. I would be very much intrigued to see the alternate reality version of Back to the Future where uh, Eric Stoltz played Marty and John Lithgow played Doc. Because yeah, they're starting to release footage of that now, or is it just photos? Yeah, there is footage out now which is on the special edition Blu-ray release of Back to the Future where you get to see, is it a short scene with Eric Stoltz playing Marty? It's little bits of it, yeah, definitely. It's in the uh, the retrospective doc. He was apparently good at the role, but he was not funny. It was a tough decision for them to get rid of him. And the main reason they'd, uh, they'd originally wanted to get uh, uh, Michael J. Fox on, but he was tied up with family ties. And there was this whole thing about Meredith Baxter Burney was pregnant and she couldn't, you know, they wanted to focus on Michael J. Fox for that season. But then they, they spent so long with uh, Eric Stoltz that uh, she'd had the kid and could come back. So uh, they, they were able to 
borrow Michael J. Fox. And it, it was like he was working all evening on Back to the Future and all day on uh, Family Ties. So he got like one hour sleep. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Putting, putting in a full day on a sitcom and then going to a movie set and playing yeah. off that. No, I mean, that. I mean, how often do you hear about them deciding in a movie that they get so far and go, no, this actor's wrong, yeah. uh, and they replace it? The only other movie I can think of... Lord of the Rings. Thank you. Fellowship. <laughs> Stuart Townsend. Sorry, how, how so? Uh, Stuart Townsend was originally going to be Aragorn, and they, they got some scenes. I don't think they even Stuart filmed Townsend. it. But after, like, two yeah. days, it was obvious he was not right for the job. And oh, uh, yeah. Seriously, all they needed to do was watch Queen of the Damned and they'd have gone, yeah, this guy can't act. I mean, he's, he's all right. He's a good actor, but he's not capable of what Viggo Mortensen managed in that. And also, he's not believable as an 80-year-old, 87. It just makes you wonder about the casting director, because they got everything else absolutely perfect. Yeah. I mean, okay, took off Lord of the Rings, back onto Back to the Future. What casting director decided that nutcase Crispin Glover would be <laughs> the ideal... We'll talk about Crispin Glover at length next week, I think, because there was, there was shit that went down regarding him. The Does actual... he not seem weirdly out of place in Back to the Future 1? No, I think, I mean, he's, he's, this, think? he's this oddball kid. Um, stories. I don't, I don't show people my stories. He's got this kind of real earnestness at the same, but at the same time, he, he actually, if you watch him and his mannerisms, it does seem like he could be Marty's father. Yeah, he does. He, he really does, and he's fantastic in that role. And he is very—he's convincing as a forty-seven-year-old weakling as well. All I can say, son, is I'm sorry. And when he does that, he flexes his hand, which is that thing where it's like I'm just not good at confrontations. Well, he gets good. Easter egg in the Darth Vader scene. Marty has a modern hairdryer tucked into his belt. Obviously, not something they had in 1955. Where did this come from? It came from Doc's suitcase, which he chucked into the DeLorean. Nice. It's another question, actually. It wasn't. It's not on my list, but Doc mentions he's allergic to all synthetics, and he's clearly wearing a silk coat at the end in, uh, when he comes back from the future. But a whole lot of that other stuff looks distinctly synthetic. We're just going to have to assume that they're not. <laughs> hey, maybe he got himself cured. Yes. When he got back, cured, he came back in yellow, yellow PVC. Yeah. <laughs> Easter egg. Keep an eye out for one of Biff's henchmen whose name is Match. It is Billy Zane. Ah. Mr. Sandman, bring me a dream. Make him the cutest that I've ever seen. Give him two lips. Okay, let's talk about time travel. This is the big one. We have to discuss time travel and how it works in the Back to the Future trilogy. And this is going to be fairly complex, and I confess I've tied my own brain in knots trying to comprehend all of it, but here goes. There seems to be four possibilities when movie time travel is discussed. One, Terminator time travel. Just backwards, never forwards. It also states only living things. Every time someone is sent back, it affects the one true timeline, although certain events seem impossible to undo, namely the birth of John Connor and the destruction of humanity at the hands of Skynet. This is very similar to 
Number two, Harry Potter time travel. Everything that can or will happen has or will definitely occur, and all time travel is part of that. So if you inadvertently become your own grandfather, like in Futurama, then that would always have been the case. Three, back to the future time travel A. One main river of time that has various offshoots that all eventually lead back to the mainstream. Four, back to the future time travel B, the multiverse theory. In this version of events, every action has consequences. If I flip a coin, the universe divides into two, one where the coin lands heads and one where it lands tails. Determination wins out over destiny, and no one thing is certain. In this manner of thinking, every journey in the DeLorean is a trip not back or forward in time, but diagonally sideways into another dimension where you will be able to affect events and create more realities. The tricky part is that you can only then stay on that timeline or travel to another. You can never go back to your original point of mental existence. Once Marty broke the pine tree in Old Man Peabody's farm, he could never go back to the very first timeline we saw, which we'll call Twin Pines, after the shopping mall. Instead, he exists on a new timeline called Lone Pine, where Peabody has got to make do with just the one. The mall's name is changed. George never got hit by Frank Baines's car, but instead learned to harness his self-confidence, and he and Lorraine were able to make a better family situation that the Twin Pines version was never able to do. We must not spend our time stating what could or couldn't happen according to scientific theories we understand to be true today, because in this fantasy movie world, Doc's experiment works. His proof outweighs our theory, which means we have to reevaluate our understanding of science and the timeline to fit the movie, not the other way around. Okay, why am I here? Yeah. <laughs> it's because you I needed someone who could get their head around this shit. Which of the two I thought you were gonna talk about the science of all this sort of thing. Okay, fair enough. Carry on. Which of the two Back to the Future theories seems to hold the most water, one river or multiverse? Because at times it seems both theories are in effect, and one contradicts the other. I'm thinking it's the well, it's one... Gotta be, it's got to be one river. Because yeah. it was multiverse, the minute that Marty went back and affected his parents' timeline, mm-hmm. then it, him not existing wouldn't have mattered. Precisely. That's the, one, that, that's the bit that contradicts the um, multiverse theory. And that's what bothered me. It's yeah, really you you shouldn't be able to affect your own existence in a multiverse um, time travel. So. The fact that the consequences of that permutated themselves by him gradually disappearing. Yeah. Ah, no, that's the ripple and effect. Fading away. Another thing worth bearing in mind is the ripple effect. When Marty saves his dad and prevents the Twin Pines meeting between him and Lorraine, he should, by all rights, immediately disappear, because whether they get together later or not, what should have happened did not. The five-day delay appears to be the ripple effect of the timeline writing itself, affected by probability. So when that ginger kid goes, Square McFlab, cut in, the probability of George and Lorraine getting together ever at any point in the future decreases rapidly and Marty begins to disappear. When George stands up to Biff, he vastly increases the chances. But it takes him maintaining that strength to not only bring Marty back to 100% probability of existence, but also to change the whole Lone Pines timeline event chain for the McFly family. They become far more successful and happy as a result. 
Now, this disappearing of Marty actually does detract from the multiverse theory because it would be quite possible for him to travel to a new dimension and undo his own conception so long as his previous timeline kept on going without him. He would and should still exist in that time, just not in the future of this new dimension. From that, we can only really conclude that it's the river theory that wins out. Okay. I think I follow that. Okay. Let's look at the major multiple universe transformations of the main river. If we're going to consider it as... If it's a river, then there's going to be... It, the, the river has offshoots. Okay. So there are at least 16 instances of time travel throughout the tri- trilogy, each theoretically either creating a new universe or changing the one we know. I've boiled it down to seven major changes. A. Twin Pines. McFly family life is crappy. They're hounded by Biff. George has no self-esteem. Lorraine is alcoholic. B. Lone Pine. McFly family successful, Biff is a dutiful family retainer. However, in the near future, Marty and Jennifer will get into an automobile accident because of Marty's issues with being called chicken, wrecking Marty's hand and self-esteem. In 30 years, Marty Jr. gets arrested, which tears the family apart. C. Just say no. Exactly the same as Lone Pine, only Griff and his gang get jailed, and Marty Jr. does not. D. Almanac. Old Biff gives the almanac to his younger self. Timeline skews violently. Biff murders George after Marty and his siblings are born and marries Lorraine. Hill Valley becomes a nightmarish ghetto. The alternate doc is committed to an insane asylum. Dave is a raving alcoholic vagrant. Linda is in serious debt. And Marty goes to school in Switzerland. In 1990, Lorraine shoots Biff, so when old Biff returns in 2015, the ripple effect takes hold and he disappears. It's quite possible that the members of the McFly household 2015 also disappear as the timeline righted itself, which is why Doc, Marty and Jen were already safe away. Marty and Doc travel back to Almanac 85, then back to pre-Almanac 55. They get the book back and burn it, creating E. Storm, a very short-lived universe where the book was burned so George will live to have a happy marriage and children with Lorraine, much like Lone Pine. Marty is still suffering from his chicken complex, so the auto wreck is still likely. Then the DeLorean gets struck by lightning, which causes F. Shonash. Doc gets sent back to 1885, hides the time machine for Marty, saves Clara so Clayton Ravine remains Shonash Ravine, then gets shot and buried. 55 Doc and Marty discover his grave and send Marty back to make... G. Eastwood. Doc saves Clara. Marty stops Doc from being shot at the dance. Marty learns not to let being called chicken bother him, ensuring the auto wreck will not happen. Marty goes back to 85, leaving Doc with Clara to create a new time machine. The DeLorean is destroyed, and Doc and his new family go off in the train to explore the rest of the timeline. The 2015 of Lone Pine Universe B no longer exists because Marty does not get in the auto wreck, so the need to go forward and save Marty Jr. is negated. Marty and Jennifer most likely do not get married in the Chapel O Love, but pick somewhere less cheesy. See how difficult this is? <laughs> My head hurts. I think Doctor Who described it best. I'm sort of a big wibbly-wobbly thing. <laughs> <laughs> we can't say that on this show, though. We can't just go, it's big and wibbly-wobbly. We've got to try to get it get it down. Giles, any thoughts? 
Yeah, no, I think um, when it comes to science and you're watching Back to the Future, a certain amount of suspension of disbelief is <laughs> not only helpful but required. Yeah. What, do you mean if I drive to 88 miles an hour in a DeLorean, I will not time travel? Well, it's got to be a time-travelling DeLorean. Well, a flux capacitor. Oh, yeah. Damn. river theory holds water then the timeline is self-healing so it may have regarded marty as a dangerous agent that had to be removed before he created any of those major universe destroying paradoxes that doc keeps talking about the irony being that if marty never existed then he would not even be able to be there to make the changes to the timeline to enable his own non-existence a paradox in itself in the multiverse theory, every time the timeline is altered, the previous one comes to an end. For an up-close version of what that might be like, watch Donnie Darko. Now, question. Why doesn't the picture of Marty with his brother and sister make sense? I'm guessing because he's time-travelled in the past, he's instantly or created an alternative timeline, so there's nothing saying that photograph uh, took place. It kind of. Um, but it's, it's the way that it actually starts to disappear. Dave disappears slowly uh, down to his legs. But surely it would just become in, intangible. And the whole idea of, oh, yes, the well, possibility actually, of your... If, it's, that was, if, if, he, if backwards time travel was possible and he travelled back in time and he accidentally stopped his parents meeting each other, at that point, bang, gone. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're only ever going to have three kids. It's not a case that they're going to have two kids and a pair of legs. <laughs> and not, not some fading away. Yeah. Uh, the, the whole idea of them fading in, you know, in, in stages is, is crazy. But it's a really nice visual aid for what's going on. So we'll forgive. I don't know. Uh, one thing I had about this is, if Back to the Future had Marty McFly and a friend had been Emmett Brown's friend, yeah, and only Marty McFly had made it back in time, yes, and as his friend, he had a photo of the both of them, and he went into the past, and the uh, the friend disappeared in the past, and the only way that his friend would exist in the future is if he, he had got his friend's parents back together. That would make more sense and also be less creepy. <laughs> but it wouldn't be as fun, again. Wouldn't be as fun as copping off with his mother. <laughs> okay. For us to watch, not for Marty to do. He doesn't have any fun in the uh, film. Yeah, when you sort of think about it in that respect, 
boy does Back to the Future get just a little bit creepy. You know, interestingly yeah. enough, when they were shopping... I wonder at, why Disney turned it down. Yeah, I was going to say, when they were shopping it around to the studios, a lot of studios were like, nah, you know what we want right now? Teen sex comedies, because Animal House is... People are loving that kind of thing. So uh, this isn't sexy enough. This isn't naughty enough. Go away. And Disney said, are you crazy? This is incest. And, uh, yeah, so they were, they were turned down by them as well. So thank God Universal were around. Wow. Hard to think that one of the funny main elements of this story is incest. That's, you know... Doc Brown of 1955 learns a lot about the future from Marty. Shouldn't the Doc of 1985 remember all of those things that happened in 55? There's three possible answers, all credible. One, the ripple effect of time travel, which caused all the photographs to change, does not affect human memory. Two, the 1955 Doc suffered the memory loss sometime after his adventures with Marty. Maybe it was from the drugs he took in the 60s as Reverend Jim. Number three, Doc actually did remember everything, but did all the same things he remembered because he didn't want to risk disrupting the space-time continuum. Uh, that, that one's the most plausible. I think Doc would not want to change anything. I mean, even if, if Doc was like, right, now I've been able to study the DeLorean, I think I could probably leg up myself on time travel and maybe, you know, get it probably down to a science in the mid-70s, he'd still wait till the mid-80s because he's terrified of fucking things up. There's a fourth possibility which depends on your view of time travel. As a theory, we like to call it the self-preservation instinct of the space-time continuum that says that the continuum is always trying to keep itself on course, and when things happen to change it, it always tries to correct itself. It's much like a river which tries to keep its overall course, although earthquakes, fallen trees, floods, or other circumstances might disrupt it at points. The river would cut a new channel so that it would end up back at the same place. Thus, the overall physics or metaphysics of the space-time continuum would ensure that any of Doc's memories of events that might create a paradox would become hazy or be erased <laughs> this time travel is giving me a headache right now th- i haven't even started this is the big one the other oh god one. this Why? isn't the greedo shoots first no, no no it's it's not really a problem until the next movies When Marty returns to 1985 and sees himself go off to 1955, wouldn't that Marty meet himself in 1955? This is a very significant point. We know that the 1985 Marty returns to at the end of the movie is the new Lone Pine timeline because of the sign at the mall signifying the events he changed back in 1955. But in Back to the Future 2, we see Doc and Marty go back to 55, and Marty has to avoid meeting himself. So if Marty at the start of the movie is Marty 1, and the Marty that travels back to 1955 at the end of the movie is Marty 2, and the timeline they're both on is Lone Pine, shouldn't Marty 2 be going back to the exact same time and space that Marty 1 previously occupied? I personally believe that they merge because of the nature of the timeline. Merging makes sense in Back to the Future Science because it would explain how in Back to the Future 2, Marty and Doc and even Jennifer can exist in two places for one timeline. Switzerland for Marty, the insane asylum for Doc, and wherever the hell alternate Jennifer wound up. 
If, on entering the alternate 1985, they merged with or replaced their doubles, it explains why a major paradox does not occur. However, if you go by the Back to the Future 2 rules, and there is actually another Doc and a Marty and a Jen still wandering around the Earth in the same timeline, in Back to the Future 3, when he comes back and ends up in the final timeline, Eastwood, there would be another Marty in that timeline. He'd have to share a bedroom with him. Because if you think about it, he's traveling forwards on a timeline where his parents are going to meet and have a child. And he's not really part of that deal. So the end of Back to the Future 1 cancels out the end of Back to the Future 3. Uh, <laughs> I think this point... It's, it's got to be... At that point, it's you're, you're positing the different worlds hypothesis mm. that... It doesn't matter that he was there before. He's appearing in a different world. Well, yeah. I mean, ultimately, if... Because if you think about it, Marty 2 goes back to the exact same point and time as Marty 1. Technically, the DeLoreans should crash into one another. They should... Their molecules should be on top of one another. My <laughs> only... The only way I could come up with this is saying the reason they don't merge when you go in 2... When he goes back in time, is he's a slightly different Marty. But if we take that approach, I see what you mean. Because when we get to the final timeline in three, they should be two Martys. Aye. Aye. Technically, and I, and I there quote, should also be a Doc. And I quote, heavy. Yeah, this is heavy. <laughs> there should also be a Doc on, on that timeline. Should because they? the Von Brauns still moved to America. And... From that lineage, Doc was born. That I mean, the fact that Doc was back in 1885 should be neither here nor there on that particular timeline. They changed everything. Unless there's some sort of thing that was never explained that being time travellers exempt them from anything like that happening? Well, no, because then he wouldn't start disappearing in one. Uh, they didn't think of that? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, man, talk about driving a serious point out a serious plot hole in the movie my god my head hurts <laughs> there's pink stuff leaking out of my ears but it doesn't matter i don't care as far as i'm concerned in one timeline marty comes back and there's another version of marty there in another timeline in three he comes back and he is the one true marty that's as far that's all we need to know the, the one true marty to rule them all logic works <laughs> And the whole thing about Jennifer just being on the porch and then the timeline changing around. <laughs> well, she's in a paradoxical shock, so maybe it does. Maybe it does. want to get hold of the Back to the Future trilogy, you can get the Blu-ray set for £30 or the DVD set for £16 from Amazon. The collector's box set has rocketed up from £50 to over £100 in less than a month. 
Which one's the collector's box? Right? That's the uh, co- that's the tin with all the little. Um, uh, that's the Blu-ray version. Because that's the Blu-ray one. Yeah. Because there's two versions of the DVD. Oh yeah. Which is really flipping annoying. There's the black version and the blue version. What's the difference? The blue version has the fourth bonus disc with uh, more documentaries on and stuff. I have the black edition, which was the first one released, which is three discs. Well, there's been multiple releases on the DVD. In fact, way back when, there was a really botched-up uh, DVD release. A specific, I think it was in the PAL territories, where they, for some reason, they reframed many, many of the shots in, in Back to the Future, specifically two and three. So uh, you actually you lost a large amount of the screen. So, like, when Doc went to uh, activate Marty's jacket in uh, Back to the Future 2, you don't even see the sleeves adjust themselves. Why would they do that? I don't know. Universal, so in. Universal never explained it, though they did offer corrected DVDs to people who sent in for them. Soundtracks are a little trickier. Back in 1985, it wasn't customary to release the complete score for movies, so the soundtrack you can get for the first film costs £5 and is mainly the music like Power of Love and Back in Time. There was also a very limited edition 2CD 2009 set available on mail order with the complete score for the original movie plus some unused tracks. That will set you back $30 plus postage and the link is in the show notes. Now, Back to the Future 2 did get a score release, but it's very rare and out of print. That's going to set you back £60 second-hand right now due to the popularity of the films. When I checked it a year ago, it was about 25 quid, which is still too much for me. And the score for the third film is luckily easier to find and costs £15 brand new. But both this and the soundtrack from the first one can be had for just a few quid on eBay or Amazon sellers. A word of warning on three. The tracks are all completely jumbled up. You get the film's climax somewhere in the middle, and it doesn't feature the rock version of Double Back by ZZ Top. Fortunately, in this day and age of iTunes, a ten-minute sorting session and the perusal of Wikipedia's listing for the correct order should set this soundtrack straight. I would advise you to avoid the Back to the Future trilogy CD soundtrack box set, uh, which is uh, reorchestrated by John Debney. It's it's all right, but it doesn't feel like the ones that we listen to from the films, and it's uh, it's new recordings of it as well. Ooh, don't like that idea. Yeah, they did the same with Indiana Jones. Did they? Yeah, years ago, sometime in the the last ten, fifteen years, they just thought that was all right. It was like, right, we haven't, we can't be bothered to find the original tracks. Let's just reorchestrate it. Because I know floating around my house somewhere, I have a tape, yes, (laughs) a tape version of Back to the Future 3. And you are right, the tracks are in a very random order. There's this, like, the the train bit. I think it's, like, the train part one, train train part two, and train part three. And it's, like, it goes part three, then part one, then part two. But they're all, like, scattered all over the the disc. It's, it's, It's mental. Why yeah. would they do that? I don't know. But they, they do that a lot with uh, with scores. It's like, they go, right, well, I like this bit of score. It sort of works for you to start with this bit, and then let's go on to this bit of score. It doesn't matter where they were in the film. I like listening to soundtracks that evoke the film and run the same course as the film. I hate it when it goes all over the place. I think it's to do with when it comes to motion picture soundtracks. They were a very strange thing. It, still to this day, not many people care deeply about a soundtrack to mm. a, a score soundtrack to a motion picture mm. so that perhaps when you get a score soundtrack um, they tend to be a bit more random but when you get a soundtrack that's why I was emphasising the difference like you would say with American Pie example of those movies where they've got the very poppy rocky tunes on it they they tend to be more valuable than the the, the score soundtrack and that's why perhaps they don't take them when you say valuable do you mean they fetch more money 
basically, yeah. Because the score soundtracks <clears throat> drop to almost zero value very, very quickly. You can get, for example, the sorry, the the, uh, the music soundtrack of Spider-Man, for example, the movie is is dirt cheap now. But the uh, original score, which is a lot harder to come by, and obviously prized among soundtrack aficionados, much more expensive and, and difficult to come by. It's another thing I really hate is songs from and inspired by the yes. movie. I know I we're, we're way off topic on this one, but inspired by? Are you fucking kidding me? Inspired by is just a way to cram things into a movie. Yeah, it's like... You, or, th- there's or, a... <laughs> can I get this one in? Because this is just as annoying as inspired by. Yes. This is from Blade Trinity. Mm. When a certain character puts on an iPod as a way of cramming on oh. more music. But at <laughs> least that was in the film. If it's no, on the... No, 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 okay. When uh, the Ghostbusters were being kicked out of their research establishment. Yes. Oh yes, there's like a, a bit of tiny bit of music playing the on the guy, radio. Just, the guy that was pulling their stuff out on a trolley has yeah. some headphones in. That track made it onto the Ghostbusters soundtrack. And yet we got like two tracks of Elmer Bernstein's actual score. Exactly right. That's bullshit. Yeah, I hate that. But no, no the worst part of Inspired By is some of the time the songs actually came out way before the movie. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mission, Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible. Yes. On the, on the soundtrack, I Spy. I Spy by Pulp. By Pulp. Yep. Yes. I was. That was not what I was thinking of. What? Was it really? Okay. Yes. That's weird. But what true. The fuck? What? The bum, the guy at the end, who Marty, uh, well, Marty comes back to 85, and he goes, crazy drunk drivers, is... The mayor. From mayor Red Thomas, yes. It's Red Thomas. It's the guy who, um, it's saying, re-elect Mayor Red Thomas. Progress is his middle name, back in 55. Uh, this is when Goldie Wilson's currently working as a uh, busboy, yeah, at the uh, cafe. And uh, somehow, Red Thomas kind of wasn't very good at what he did and ended up a bum. He also turns up in uh, Back to the Future 2, and Marty bumps into him in alternate 1985, and he's had exactly the same shitty life. (laughs) He has crazy drunk pedestrian to him. Okay, so, right, Giles, discuss real time travel or conceptually how it could happen <laughs> regarding, I mean, I think, f- from, from what I hear, lie down if you have to oh, travel no, no, faster than no, light. No one cares. Right? right? No one cares. Or you have to travel, no, no I'm, I'm not, I am not taking the piss, I'm, I'm interested in this. What, would it be that you'd have to travel away from the Earth and then back again to, to travel into the future? That way, uh, time would slow down for you, but, but carry on for everybody else, or what? That is one way that it would happen. Yes. Uh, anything Is it... Well, conceptually, that, it's still impossible. I mean, that, that is feasibly possible. No, no, it's fe- we have time. We have time travel. We have people that have travelled through time today. There are people on this Earth that are younger than they would have been 
had they not done what they'd done. Are we talking about crossing the international dateline here? <laughs> no, no, we're absolutely further than that. We're talking about being accelerated to very high velocities. How many uh, weeks did they lose, effectively, or months? Um, okay, here's the thing. <laughs> Uh, Russian cosmonaut. Yep. He spent, uh, God, it must have been, oh, I wish I got the details here now, uh, over 800 weeks, sorry, no, 800 days on Mir. Mm-hmm. So he, he time travelled one forty-eighth of a second over the rest of us when he came back down. Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. So what was, what's it like for him now? <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I mean, has he had difficulty adjusting to our timeline? different place. <laughs> it's always the way that the reality is so much more depressingly mundane I mean the yeah. concepts and the ideas uh, put, put forward by theoretical time travel are very interesting to me if, if it is possible to actually get to, to reach light speed then technically time travel should be possible only into the future and again yeah it's got to be only into the so it's the opposite of Terminator where it's like only only back yeah um, and even then, effectively, all you'd be doing is putting yourself in stasis, correct? You would be travelling less fast through time than everyone else was, yes. Mm. But you'd be limited by the constant of the speed of light. Indeed. Uh... So, by all rationale, backwards time travel should not be possible, correct? Backwards time travel is not possible. As we know and understand today... No. Backwards time travel <laughs> is not possible. As a TV was not possible to a caveman. <laughs> or as nuclear fission wasn't. Is it conceivable, Giles, <laughs> that in thousands of millions even of years, we'd be able to work out how to travel backwards along the timeline? Uh, yeah, no, if we bend the laws of physics. Indeed. Yeah, cause as isn't... we know them today. I was going to say, though, isn't there some theory about time travel that once time travel is discovered, it is discovered everywhere in the, every single point in time? Uh, so is there like a memo sent out or something? <laughs> you put an orange on your head and walk back. A method through travelling through time is discovered, you will be able to travel through time at any point before that, but not until the time machine is discovered. What if somebody discovers it 10,000 years from now and comes back and tells us tomorrow? We wouldn't have any well, way of building it. Major paradox, because they'd be screwing up their own timeline. Yeah. Well, that's one of the reasons why we know that that's not possible. Because <laughs> no one's told us yet. <laughs> Aside from the head-punishing time travel loops, which I'm not complaining about because you have to be either a genius or a lunatic to unpick them, I think that these are three of the finest films ever made. They have a strong code of ethics and their heart and head only ever in the right place. They succeed in being entertaining, clever, uplifting, and by virtue of their very specific timeline, somehow timeless. 
Bob Zemeckis has achieved a great deal in his life, and I believe he stands toe-to-toe with Spielberg and Lucas purely on the incredible strength of these films. This first film in particular was riding a wave of intelligent, accessible sci-fi fare that now appears to be the crowning glory of cinema in the 80s. Ghostbusters, E.T., Inner Space, Gremlins, Predator, Aliens, Robocop, Terminator, Flight of the Navigator, Quantum Leap, The Abyss, and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. All very much recommended, but of all of them, Back to the Future stands tall as the most enjoyable for the widest audience. Yeah, I can't argue with that. It is. It is exactly that. There is something for everyone's taste in it, really. There's the sci-fi in it for the sci-fi geeks. There's the romance in it. Yeah. It's a strong family tale, a strong moral tale. And by the time we hit to, uh, Back to the Future 3, there's buckets of good character growth as well. Yeah. More on that in two weeks' time, but uh, but yeah, it actually becomes something of a love story by the third one as well, and and it, you know you you realise what's been missing from Doc's life all this time, what he's been trying to fill with time travel. But uh, have you ever noticed also how Back to the Future does teach you that violence solves some things? <laughs> a little bit of violence, don't kill anyone, but seriously, if someone's going to kill you, punch them. Also, Clint Eastwood is a genius. Always <laughs> bulletproof vest. Anything else? Manure. Manure. I hate manure. Avoid manure. Don't kiss your mum. What else have I learned from Back to the Future? In the future, there will not be iPods, but there will be flying cars and hoverboards. Can I trade my iPod for a flying, at least a hoverboard? That would be good. I mean, I I was always working out right, so I'm going to be 35 when they're out. So I'll still be just about agile enough to be able to use one. Oh, and also, don't fly a DeLorean in a lightning storm. No, bad idea. I just wanted, I don't know if you guys remember this, but Channel 4 had a, a list of 50 films to see before you die. Mm-hmm. And uh, Back to the Future is 10th. 10th? Seriously, mm. out of 50. That's really cool. I should check that list, actually. Mm. Quite good. It'll be a good indicator of what films to do for Gonzo Gaming. I could definitely see us doing more episodes of Gonzo Gaming. In fact, actually, I have one very specific one lined up for Christmas. We'll talk about that maybe later. Okay, I just want to say thank you very much, Giles and Neil, for coming on again. Thank you. Neil, do you want to pick your show? Yeah, you can find me at Gameburst at Gameburst.co.uk. And you can also find me on the airwaves as well. If you're in and around the Nottingham area, you can find me on Aero Sound Monday to Friday, 1 till 4 on 96.8 FM. So then there's the ending. Doc turns up and says, We've got to, Something's got to be done about your kids! I mean, we'll talk about how that is perfectly replicated next week in the uh, second film and, uh, and what an achievement that was. I really cannot wait to start talking about those other two because some of the things that happen in, in, in this series just have not happened before or since in, in cinema. It's always going to remain one of my absolute favourite series. So we will see you next week for part two. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Neil Taylor. I've been Giles Thomas. Rose? Where we're going, we don't need... Rose.